Your patrons, we're back. Uh, this is the second part of our discussion with Amber. Um, we're going to finish off kind of talking about themes related to her book, or The Millennial Left. Uh, and then um, we're going to move on to talking about the World Economic Forum, which is just uh, finishing up today, Friday the 19th of January, as we're recording this. We're hearing this next week. Um, hello from the past. And uh, and then a little bit maybe about the U.S. election. Um, because there's some interesting stuff going on, uh, I guess maybe we can talk about in terms of the institutionalization of, of populism. Um, but maybe that's, um, you know, putting, we can just own... talk about vibes. That's we can what talk we about vibes. talk about. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, that, it is vibes. I just tried to give it a fancy name, but no one likes Institutionalization that. of populism. Yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Vibes. Well, Amber vibes. said we should be nerds. That's what she said in the previous episode. <laughs> so, nerds. so you're doing um, great. Yeah. Um, right. So, We've talked at length on this podcast, I've done many eulogies and, uh, you know, autopsies on left populism or on the millennial left, uh, most recently with Chris Cutrone, but we've done it, um, ah, we've done so many of it. Um, and indeed, with, with Amber yourself um, on the podcast, I think shortly after um, Bernie's defeat in, in 2020 um, and certainly after Biden's election um, in, in 2020. So... We've covered this a lot. I don't want to kind of repeat that. Um, I think that, you know, listeners who maybe are new to us, I would encourage you to go check some of those out. I think they're still um, they're, they're still right. We were right and we continue being right. Um, so go check those out. But um, but I want to double History a little bit more me. deeply. <laughs> um, basically, I guess firstly, right. So I want to talk about something a little bit more specific and, and one maybe a little bit general just to start with. Um, after the failure of left populism in Europe, U.S. and Europe, um, and obviously you'll reflect on your own experiences with Bernie, but you spent a lot of time in the U.K. as well and kind of were around the kind of Corbyn campaign too, Amber. So, I mean, was it, is this a stupid question? Was it worth it? You know, um, was the, would you repeat what you did or would you think it's worth repeating? I mean, it depends on what you mean by like what I did, but yeah, it was worth a shot. The thing is, you. The difficulty is again. I, I said this earlier, but you have to take an accounting. Like, just honestly, like, do you have the horses? Um, is there any there? There is the big part. Um, and uh, well, let me know, let me rephrase let me rephrase the question actually because it might be more interesting. Because in retrospect, there's there's nothing left, right? Like it it it's amazing how little there is left from this whole experience, um, in terms of. The movement behind oh, Bernie yeah. Sanders in terms of momentum and Corbyn in terms of like Podemos, which is like, you know, was in government with the center left party, which is exactly oh. what they set out not to do. Um, you know, France we'll and is still there and thereabouts. Yeah, well, indeed. Um, and you can look around the scene, you know, there's, there's just seems to be like very little left. And what um, I think there's like two it's a much bigger tragedy about- than the individual losses of like Bernie or Corbett. Oh, is the yeah. fact that it, it left nothing behind. Like I was like, oh, I lost 
And then almost immediately, like it was never happened, that sort of a battle of identity politics started back up again. It was like it was like everyone had amnesia for the for the worst parts. It was just no one had anything to do. So they all went kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's I don't know how much residue is left. I think we, we, we will see that when the next opportunity presents itself. And I believe it will. I mean, whatever. It's always worth a shot if you if you think you got the horses and there's any there there. Yeah, but I, I guess like the you know the the lack of uh, lingering organization kind of prompts the question of what it was about, right? Because like in my 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 kind of take of it is that like either you build new organizations and you and new parties and already and and which in some cases that happened, right? I mean that Podemos in Spain is a new party, right? It was like all this horizontal street movement bullshit suddenly mm-hmm. birthed an actual real political party, which had like was doing really well in the polls and might have won and and had serious um had a serious claim to displace the main center left completely neoliberalized party of of PSOE in, in Spain. So like that was the model kind of working, and then it remarkably quickly fell into acrimony, started bitching at each other. Um, they had some bad electoral results. They no longer had the kind of populist outsider credentials. And then they just became kind of yet another kind of radical leftist, which you could kind of ignore rather than the, these new populist mm-hmm. upstarts, which you had to pay attention to. Anyway, I only mentioned Spain because I think it kind of crystallizes stuff that happened elsewhere as well. Um, yeah. And so, like, either you build a new organization and you kind of institutionalize it as a power block, you know, you're able to fight repeated elections, build towards something, build grassroots, build a real kind of organization, not just like some attractive leader um, who you all rally around and then kind of a bunch of volunteers who who kind of turn up at election time but aren't really integrated into a party structure. So either you build something or you do something a little bit more spontaneous and you try to make a... A, a claim for power and, and not just kind of maybe winning election, but really taking power, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really seeing the moment as maybe not exactly revolutionary, but something which um, is kind of combustible and really try to shake this the establishment or, or kind of take it over or be, be kind of insurrectionary in some way. And it seemed to me that like looking back on it, it was neither, right? That's kind of what you've ended up with. So like there was which neither one? the real, de- well, like there was neither oh, deep oh, organization neither Yeah, yeah, like, Corbyn couldn't get into labor and Bernie couldn't get into the presidency and Podemos no, nor was nor was there like a yeah, serious yeah. yeah nor was there a yeah. serious rupture like there was no break from the Democrats there was no break from the EU um mm-hmm. so like you kind of ended up with with neither I don't know what your thoughts on that I it, it troubles me well everybody lost <laughs> I, I I would say that um you know for, for Podemos um I, I think it, I don't think there was a lot of there there to begin with I was very skeptical to begin with but you know, that's, that's me. I don't trust men with ponytails. Um, but I, I, I think for the, for the other two, there was a book, uh, that came out shortly after Bernie, uh, you know, stepped down. Uh, and it was, I, uh, I don't know. I was, I, again, this is, a, you, you, you know, I took that, I took that baby Adderall uh, just before the first one. It's really kicking in now. I was very disgusted by it. It was called Bigger Than Bernie, uh, mainly because it meant that they mm-hmm. were writing it during the campaign, um, uh, which is just like, well, you're banking on the fact. And, absolutely. Like I, I was never, I was always in the position. I was like, well, shit, maybe, you know, we have a shot here. Or maybe we don't, but there's no way to know if we don't have a shot until we tried, you know? Um, 
but the it clearly wasn't bigger than Bernie. The only thing that sort of like unified people, the only thing that built any sort of structure, which was sort of his ground team, was the campaign. And nobody really spent much uh, like uh, time actually making anything sustainable for it. Now, I, I would have liked it to have been bigger than Bernie, but I don't think that that was actually possible at the time. I think really all the resources had to go into promoting the campaign because it was a better it was a it was a better bet. Um, I know people are like, oh, there's all this infrastructure. I'm like, no, there's fucking not. They're, they're, they're going to strip the copper wire out of it. Some people are going to get some PMC jobs. And and the the populist momentum behind it, the kind of universalist, you know, social democratic agenda behind it, it's just going to waft away because there's nothing, there's no North Star anymore. It's just going to turn right back into fucking online internet politics in, in 2015. It's going to be all culture shit. It's going to be all, it's going to be all like, I think the privileged politics thing is sort of fallen out of favor, but the marginalization politics have, um, I mean, for me, I don't know if you want to get into the, the DSA thing that just, that I just Well, happened. no, let, let's, let's, because I think yeah. my, my view from afar, just quickly, is where you have this thing in the Democrats and like, fuck the Democrats, you know, it's kind of the right wing or the left and the right wing. It's like the left wing party <laughs> of, of capital. Um, and like it, there, nothing good will ever truly come of it. Um, there's no way to really transform that party. It's not even a real political party. But, you know, there was DSA happening. And so that was exciting because it was just an actual, you know, left party being built outside of the Democrats, which seemed to or have, proto, you know, proto party momentum. Proto party at least. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and, and then it was just like, but this is actually all the most terrible woke stuff, which you also get in the Democratic Party, but but kind of without without being close to power or the levers of the state. So, wait, yeah. what is this thing? And now, and also tell us what has now happened with it. So, I, I would say first of all that um, those kind of uh, liberal politics, you know, the identity politics and sort of things based on. Um, you know, people are obsessed with reparations. There's a reparations like thing that they voted on at, at a convention once. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And you sort of see it now with all the energy they're, they're throwing towards, you know, Palestine, something we have no, no influence over. Cause we did, we don't have the horses, you know, write your, write your Congressman and, and do all that stuff. But, you know, the releasing statement after statement is not going to do anything, but, you know, I was in DSA uh, it, it, when I lived in Indiana, when there was just like no one there. And then I, I worked in the offices for a while when we only had f- four total, including me employees, you know, I did, I did the spreadsheets. I did the, wasn't that great at it, but you know, someone had to do it. Um, the ugly, dull, tedious administrative work of socialism. Um, so DSA really exploded. There was always, again, always this latent, I don't want to say latent. There were, there were always, uh, God, I almost want to say provocateurs. Uh, there are, there were always sort of, uh, uh, liberal infiltrators, people that wanted to, um, people that want, that wanted to sort of take their political careers into it or who were just liberals and were sort of bandwagoners and, and just sort of brought the kind of, um, you know, ID Paul and, and, um, cultural politics and kind of alarmist, um, you know, the, the brown shirts are coming thing into it because they were just ridiculous. 
but the main anchor for it was Bernie. Um, and then after that, uh, we, uh, a, a few days ago, um, the, the woman, the director I worked under Maria Sfart just said she was going to step down and she released a, a statement and I'll, I'll read like two little bits from it. One duty I have always held sacred is the responsibility to share hard truths, not just what people want to hear. I'm going to read between the lines on that one. It has not always endeared me to everyone, but in this moment, I must remind you yet again that there are serious challenges, not just on the horizon, but here now. DSA convention delegates this past summer could not fully realize the realities of the budget or debate the real trade-offs inherent in the resolutions considered. The organization structurally approaches these questions with a group diplomacy based on process, without a holistic, materialist assessment of our accomplishments, strengths, weaknesses, and especially resources, many individual resolutions were passed but not considered in relation to each other with an eye to explicit prioritization or effectiveness. Here's the big boy. The national budget is our clearest example. On our present course, we will be unable to pay all our bills in a few months without a change in direction. Funding all 2023 convention decisions would add more than $2 million to the budget, which we simply don't have. As a nonprofit organization, we cannot print money like the government or take loans like a large corporation, nor can we make unrealistic predictions about a stronger fundraising, about stronger fundraising or recruitment, then spend money we merely hope to raise. So I have to say, just personally, Maria is one of the most diplomatic, practical, but also, um, I don't want to use the word gentle, but, you know, uh, uh, she's, she's easy to deal with. She's very, um, this is almost kind of fucking nasty. Um, and I'm, I, I'm inclined to believe that she deserves being a little bit nasty. This got, this proves that beyond the shadow of a doubt that this was never bigger than Bernie. And I think if he had won and who knows how, if that would have ever been possible, even if we did have the horses, uh, you know, maybe just the, the sabotage of the Democratic Party would have won anyway. We'll never know. Uh, that, that without that, that could have put something in place. I don't know. But it might have withered after Bernie, too. There was just not a lot of there there. And yes, it was encouraging so, that it was growing. But it, it was just growing like a fucking tumor rose. It was just going and except a tumor could actually mm. hurt somebody. We were pretty like impotent. <laughs> So Worse what, than so cancer, yeah. What's your what's your kind of reading of this then? That without Bernie as that kind of cohering force, what's happened is that I think at the twenty twenty three convention, their... ev ed, like everything, like everything has been funded. So let's give some money to this thing. Let's make this thing happen. There's no kind of central core, so everything is is possible, and therefore you... the essay looks like it's overspent quite seriously. Yeah. Um, how do you fucking yeah. how do you fucking run out of money? To the point that, let's see here, in a few months, we're not going to be able to pay all our bills. Like, we did not have our shit together by any means. And I think one of the things that I noticed, I don't think that many people were actually invested in maintaining or building the orders. Well, not, not that. That's not true. I, I think a lot of people, or at least a sizable number of people, um particularly the ones who gravitated towards leadership positions uh, didn't have much interest in actually building the organization or an alternative organization outside of 
outside of the Democratic Party or or the Bernie campaign. Um, I think most people in the organization just kind of didn't know what to do after the Bernie campaign. And that's that's fine. There's no North Star. It's, it's uh, you know, I didn't know what to do either. Um, I was just waiting around for the Teamsters to do shit. And that's what I, you know, threw my interest in. Um, but not... <laughs> How do you run out of like that months to a few months that is deranged? I think I, the, the difference, the main thing I noticed that I was like, uh oh, is that people went from having to have private and anonymized membership to me telling me that people put their DSA leadership position on their resumes. So clearly it's not a bad word anymore, but if all we did was move the Overton window to say, oh, you could be a socialist now and we didn't build anything, like that's pretty much tits on a bowl. I don't care. That's not bigger than Bernie. That's, that's literally the, the win. That's a win of a culture war. You can say this, the S word is not a dirty word anymore, but this is like, obviously there was nothing bigger than Bernie. If you're going to run out of fucking money on an election year. When Trump, so, is- I mean that that seems that seems crazy to me. Like wh- when, because the DSA is not a, a service provider; it's not a municipality, let alone a state or whatever, right? This isn't like well, they tr- they try to, and that's part of the problem. They're like, oh, we need. Well, so to this is what I was getting. Yeah. So this is yeah, that's what I was getting at. I mean, are they? W- w- how can a, a, a something like that? You know, its budget get so overloaded? It seems with with various things. I mean, obviously, any organization can have budgetary problems. Um, and sure. you know, you're trying to do more than you can, than you can actually pro- possibly do because your incomings are less than your outgoings. You've got, like, you've got to spend money to make money. Mate. Well, <laughs> <all right. laughs> we were too big to fail, <laughs> but, but like, what is it? Because it should be just campaigning and signing up new members. I and mean, that's basically what you'd think the DSA would be spending money on. If it's running out of money and one by, project, by, by some significant degree, what is the, one fucking yeah. like priorities being you know the religion of socialism we're a bunch of fucking atheists apparently but like i don't know the friend who sent this to me where she's like uh, am i reading too much into this or is this her saying we bled members and have no money in a national focus on niche causes is therefore myopic and stupid and again this is very out of tone i've never even seen her irritated um and I think part of it is that this also was uh, an issue of horizontalism, not fully horizontalist or whatever, but the fact that, you know, Maria and, you know, administrative staff weren't able to, and I, I do believe because they do tend to hire professionally that they they had the people who know how to run a budget. Um, could be wrong. Pretty sure. Maria was always good at the budget. Uh I do believe that they had people there saying we can't afford this. And then the delegates at conventions were like, yes, we can. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, where does the money go? I do think we were probably hemorrhaging members, but you know, you had to expect that at some point, which means you had to plan. You had to have a nest egg. You had to also focus your, they added a, a thing like a, in addition to labor, and um, in addition to labor and and the environment, which ugh, uh, we're adding trans and bodily uh, autonomy rights, it's like, well, what are you, what does that mean? You're gonna 
You're going to mail people estrogen and testosterone with a newsletter. You're going to just like provide back alley abortions. What are you going to do? Like, oh, get people to recycle. Like we don't have anything on that. What we can do is because our only resource is people is labor. And I'm sorry that, that there's been so much activity around Palestine too. And it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking and tragic, but the amount of it, we've devolved into statementism too, where it's just like, we would like to make a statement on Palestine. It's like, nobody gives a shit what we think about Palestine. First of all, they probably know. If they had to guess, (laughs) yeah. If they had to guess whether we're in favor of the occupation and everything is, is, I think they'd arrive at the right conclusion. But they're using resources on statements, which means nothing and wield no power. I don't know if that costs money. Apparently they figured out a way for it to cost money. But like, if you want to do that, join a church lobby locally for uh, like refugee laws, which most of that stuff in America, the good, the good refugee um, uh, programs are usually city based in America for some reason. Well, I know why, because with federalism and state based bullshit, Um, you want to do that fine, but you could also join a church that'll take up collections for stuff. This is not what a socialist organization is for. And I can't figure out just just the anticipation that we'd never stop growing. It was based on one, we could keep going with this kind of horizontalist kind of structure. And two, the fact that we would, uh, you know, we were bigger than Bernie and we never were. And you could argue that maybe we should have spent that time laying track. I think there's definitely stuff organizationally that we should have restructured while we were working on Bernie. But like, I don't know what, what track we could have laid. You know, I think uh, relationships with labor would have been good to build. I mean, we have that to some degree, but it's all, again, very localized. But that's the only thing we could really provide is that kind of, you know, we don't have a huge amount of money. We don't have we have butts in the seats. That's all we have. And then there's people willing to do electoral stuff. But I don't fucking get like, what can a city council member do? You know, and we invested tons of resources into these incredibly small races with the idea that with the idea that it would trickle upward. It's like even dumber than Reaganomics. It's it sounds to me like if, you know, worse well, you know, disaster scenario, if if DSA ends up uh, kind of defaulting on some payments and wrapping up in some way, that would have been the not very much not a happy ending to the to your book, but it would have been like that would have been a pretty good like yeah. final chapter. Yeah. Well, pretty, pretty maybe bleak, it'll be but... maybe it'll be the first chapter of the next book. I like already have got some uh, some interviews that I, I can, you can put it in the and... foreword of the second edition. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff so, I didn't I, cover, I wanted... both positive and negative, in in the fucking like uh, book. I'm like, well, I do think because so much stuff happened, and I just didn't want to give a really technical post mortem of the Bernie campaign i think i've just put at the end like you know we didn't have the horses etc but it's like yeah i think the collapse of dsa and the internal workings of an organization that never really found its footing despite having a lot just a majority honestly really earnest dedicated people who just you know, didn't didn't have the structure to to put what few resources we had into something positive and, and, and into building something. Like I think that's worth talking about. Poor fucking Maria. If I sound if I sound really bitter about this, it's it's because I feel really bad for her and 
And it just seems like such a wasted opportunity. I I think even if we had had been doomed, like there was a lot of stuff we could have done that wouldn't have been bigger than Bernie and wouldn't have scaled up yet, but would have given us like a, a, a little bitty, a little bitty organized structural tool that we could, you know, that we could use and operate and, and, and build upon and, and, uh, you know, call upon when the next opportunity uh, presents itself. Right. It's just, it's o- very heartbreaking. Up, o- and if I, if I'm, if I'm a bitch about it, it's because I'm disappointed in what happened to it. Well, I think the, the biggest tragedy of the whole experience uh, is just that, you know, I think the, the minimum you have to do is open up new possibilities for the, for the future, right? Lay, lay the ground for something that you might, um, you know, put a little higher step on to be to be kind of in a better position in the, in the future. And um, after the 2020s, you can look back and kind of go, well, did that happen? That's really mm-hmm. debatable. And, and so that's that's a real tragedy of, of the whole experience. Um, but we should move on from from the Democratic Socialists of America to um, the global nerve center of socialism and Marxism, the World Economic Forum in Davos. So, um, for those for those who don't know, for those who've been living under a rock, you know the the kind of a lot of the right wing conspiracy theories like to portray the World Economic Forum not as a gathering of capitalists and world political leaders, but as um, as somehow socialist or whatever, right? <laughs> um, and part of that, I think, has been because a lot of them talk about kind of woke stuff. Certainly, they have in in, in past years. Um, and because of that, they kind of associate that with cultural Marxism, whatever that might be, um, and various kind of kind of culturalist ideas, which really come from the top. Um, but but they kind of have identified this because the only way they can understand evil is under the term socialism, and therefore um, that's kind of the way that these things have been portrayed. Anyway, the uh, World Economic Forum is meeting now as we're as we're speaking on Friday. The uh, Friday the 19th of January is the last day of it. Kind of been trying to follow a little bit of what's going on. A lot of the discussion has circled around uh, the speech given by Javier Milei, the new president of Argentina, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. Just to give an overview, um, some of the discussions I've seen of like what the vibe has been at um, the World Economic Forum this year, to the extent that it can act as a barometer of uh, global elite opinion, um, one headline had it, the World Economic Forum is edging away from the left. Um, I, again, I'm not buying that it's like left. But yeah. anyway, that it was moving away from ESG, you know, that's environmental, social, and, and corporate government, governance and investment, um, stakeholder capitalism, and DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So basically it's becoming less woke. Even um, Dan Schulman, who's a former CEO of PayPal and a mainstay of Davos, um, who's also apparently a noted progressive, um, warned Klaus Schwab, the, the president of the World Economic Forum, that uh, the gathering had be- gone too far left. Um, and now that they're, now they need to start trying to make up friends with the right once again. Now, I wonder if that's them um, being aware of the fact that Trump might be coming back or maybe rep- represents something, a kind of greater shift. Um, Javier Millet gave this kind of, kind of crazy speech in which he's... Um, sung all the libertarian hits, but with added culture war elements. So he starts off by saying the Western world is in danger. The supposed defenders um, of, of the Western world have been corrupted by a vision that leads inexorably to socialism and thus to poverty. Uh, they have abandoned freedom in favor of collectivism. Um, the state 
you know, taxes are theft and the, it, the state is financed through this coercion. The higher the tax, the greater the coercion. But he also hits out at neoclassical economists, kind of a lot of the intellectual muscle between behind neoliberalism, um, who apparently also invite socialism by trying to correct for market failures. Correcting for market failures, doing things like regulating monopolies, uh, limits profits and therefore it limits growth. So, you know, you don't just have to work out, watch out for the socialists, but even for the neoliberals who themselves are um, inviting in the socialists. Um, moreover, the socialists themselves, who have now been defeated, they've left behind class struggle uh, over the economic system and in, opted instead for gender ideology, environmentalism, and so on. Uh, these neo-Marxists have co-opted the common sense of the Western world, and they've done so by influencing academia and international institutions in particular. So here's a warning from Argentina's new libertarian president that actually watch out, um, you know, these neo-Marxists um, are, are infiltrating things and, and, and leading to a shift. Anyway, he finishes off by, by doing this message to all business people, kind of licking their balls, saying, don't be intimidated by the political caste or the parasites uh, around who, who depend on the state. You, you bet, you business people, your benefactors, your heroes, you're created, you're the creators of the most glorious period of prosperity in history. Don't surrender to the advance of the state. Anyway, a lot of that libertarian stuff we can dismiss. And a lot of these people obviously are managers of the state or depend on the state to support their monopolies or whatever else it might be. So um, I'm not expecting the capitalists to get rid of the state anytime soon. Um, but a lot of the kind of the more cultural war st stuff, the kind of more paranoid depictions of things, um, the even just the kind of rants against environmentalism and, and wokeness, I think are, are kind of telling um, insofar as by several accounts, what has happened at this year's World Economic Forum is that there's many fewer mentions of diversity, of inclusion, of blah, 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 um, and a kind of more of a tilt to the right. So I think that's kind of interesting because um, the wind seemed to be blowing a different way. I don't know if you have an immediate take on this or on Millet's speech for that matter, and if you got a chance to, to see it. Did you get the impression that, um, I, I, I mean, again, I don't want to give them too much credit for like strategizing on this. He might just be like a, a nut, you know, uh, going off script. But like, do you get the impression that like, there is still kind of a a right wing because it's there was a right and left wing fear or it's a little bit like having a tiger by the tail like you you've caught it technically but eventually you're gonna have to let it go and it's gonna eat you but do you think it's a populism thing like it's a fear of populism or are they still scared of that or I, I don't really get well, that, so that's you might good, also just yeah no so that's a good question right so like we've had the populist decade right, of, of, of the 2010s, to the, to the extent that now populism has become institutionalized. It's kind of like they're the new opposition, like official opposition, right? They're like the Labour Party in the UK. They're not going to do anything different. They're just going to offer like a kind of slightly different form of rule. They're like the other guys managing the capitalist state, but doing kind of culture a little bit differently or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they're and, and we see this because all the populists who take power in Europe don't really threaten to leave the EU, for example. Um, all they do is kind of do some stuff on immigration or, or rant about immigration and complain about how they can't control their own borders because of the European Union. But nothing really changes, right? Um, so that's now become kind of, it's no longer a surprise. It's no longer like the entry of these this incursion or these crusaders or whatever who come in and destabilize the existing order. They're part, they're incorporated in it. There's just a regular rotation between kind of woke neoliberal technocrats 
and right-wing neoliberal populists. That's the kind of way that things kind of work. Um, that, that's how it seems to me. Even Trump's return itself would be a kind of, would symbolize this kind of alternation between you know, your Obama yeah. to Trump. He's the last po- populist Biden. moment. Yeah, after after Bernie and, you know, the decline of the DSA style movements, like <laughs> Trump is the last populist moment, movement left. I think this, this Millet speech is almost like, it. you know, it's important who the audience is. It is kind of almost a populist speech for that particular audience. Mm-hmm. It's like, actually, you know, you guys you're you're like the victims here it's the neo-marxists who have the common sense who are kind of really in control and you know you guys are, are almost the victims of these um well, it's of, like you, got, uh, you have to man up you have to stand up yeah. to this, to this mm-hmm. woke shit i can know. i can kind of imagine him walking on on the stage you know little wayne's amelie but slightly remixed for um millet blaring he comes on He's kind of getting people fired up. And then at the end, they're all kind of cheering him because it's like, okay, this is the kind of radicalism that we need as the downtrodden WEF sorts to kind of really strike back against this um, kind of, yeah, this like the academia, the academics who have all the power. We, we're, we're kind of downtrodden here. And well, need to I think they, fight yeah, back. it could just be a pep rally. You're, 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 if that's a possibility. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. I mean, Millet, apparently, you know, he was welcomed with, with, warm applause which i always think is you know faint praise it sounds like warm piss um it's true that would that would be different but, but you, even, think- you know even klaus schwab introduced him by saying you know this is a little bit radical but you know he's bringing a new spirit of entrepreneurialism he's bringing back the rule of law to argentina which is obviously nonsense um, unless he means by rule of law clamping down on all protest against his austerity measures which is what he is doing um but you know, it, it seems to me like that this is a kind of, to a certain extent, maybe a little bit of woke fatigue or a little bit rollback from kind of elite wokeness. Wokeness meaning well, all the envi- well, environmental, social concerns with investment and whatever yeah. of kind of like we've maybe overstepped the boundaries. Maybe we did that too much. It's not good for business because there's a bit of a backlash. Let's just roll it back a maybe, little bit. Maybe it's know. the opposite. Maybe the, maybe he feels comfortable doing that because that stuff is already in decline. I mean, it's much easier to kick to kick something when it's down. Um, maybe like the, the, the necessity, there's no longer any necessity to, to sort of placate, uh, you know, whatever quote unquote left or, or progressive populist movement. I mean, yeah. there is kind of a thing too, where again, I don't want to give him too much credit. I'm, I'm not really sure how 3d chess the guy is, but like, I remember, uh, th- I, I remember this sort of continuous thing where people were, I keep bringing it back to Palestine because it's just like the easiest thing where they're like, look at all the propaganda they have uh, against the Palestinians. How, how much like, look at how horrible they portray them as, as these, you know, animals. They must really be scared. It's like, no, they're not scared. It's just a lot easier to vilify someone who can't defend themselves. So maybe it's, it's the decline of, I'm not really sure. That's really interesting though. Cause it seems, it seems very left field. Well, so like, I'm, yeah, and I, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. read too much in Millet's speech because Millet's a fucking head case and he's going to say what he's going to say and he was invited. Right, but the fact that he was allowed new, to, he was like, introduced to do this weird fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, um, because maybe it's like, okay, maybe he's a bit radical, like maybe we don't want to go so libertarian, but actually he's kind of right on some of the things. I don't know. What I think is more interesting is, uh, like, as I mentioned, this, you know, ex-CEO of, of PayPal, who's like this progressive, who's going like, let's roll this back a little bit. And I wonder if, you know, I'm, I'm trying to 
what I'm trying to get at, I guess, is to see whether this is speaks to a moment now, beginning of 2024, kind of kind of a ways away from the high watermark of of populism, particularly like left populism and all these protests, which was 2019, just before the just before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you know this is this is the sort of vibe shift, and what that would be again. So my kind of take is that the internal threat of populism, certainly as a kind of insurrectionary thing, whether from left or from right, has now been kind of neutered and incorporated. Um, there's also been a shift in the kind of weight of opinion. If you look at the number of governments who now have like right-wing outsider populist, authoritarian nationalist, blah, 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 however you want to describe them, who have those leaders, right? Like they're across a lot of Western democracies. Um, and that these and that the people who kind of have kind of run the world for the last 30 years are also the ones who are also feeling threatened by China, etc., by by kind of geopolitical competition. And maybe that's kind of hardening their stance. Maybe they're kind of going, okay, look, we don't need to care about kind of appearing um, caring. We don't have to appear that we care through like wokeness. We can just, we need to kind of stiffen our backs because we've got China breathing down our neck. We've got Russia challenging our authority. We need to kind of man up here and you know, stick it to the cultural Marxists. Therefore, I don't know. <laughs> that last bit doesn't exactly follow logically, but maybe that's how they mm. conceive of things. I don't know. It seems it's very curious because it's like, but I could also just see it's like this one nut just went off script. Like he's like, this is what I'm going to say. And then he's like, nah. And I like being sort of emboldened by Trump is a possibility or well, I don't know. Maybe it's also just sort of like a Latin American thing is that like, there's a, there's a, it does seem like right now there's a there's a bigger crunch. Um, you probably know more about than me. Um, they can get away with just uh, repressing a lot of protests and stuff like that seems to be yeah. uh, increasing right now. No, for sure. I, but, you know, the Trump thing is interesting because this is actually ends up being a nice kind of segue. The New York Times today had a headline. Um, a consensus emerges at Davos. Trump will win re-election. In private <laughs> business and political leaders expect a Trump victory. Um, and then Macron today, also at the World Economic Forum. Um, don't say we're not on top of our current affairs here at Bunga Cast. Uh, Macron said, 2024 will be a pivotal year for Europeans. We must prove that we can be more visible, make more efforts, whatever happens in the US. So basically like a kind of expectation that Trump's going to win. It's going to be fucking chaos. Right. And other elites elsewhere have to kind of or at least those who consider themselves um, defenders of the Western world or whatever it might be, um, stalwarts of the rules based international order trademark uh, that they need to be um, that they kind of need to man up. Right. They have to pull their socks up. And that's kind of that's quite that's quite interesting. Like there's not going to be U.S. leadership. Trump's going to win. The kind of right populism is going to be. In, in, integral part of the of the global system and and therefore like, we need to kind of put the stabilizers on which kind of runs contrary to what i was saying before about about um a kind of right-wing shift but yeah. but maybe maybe not because maybe it just means like let's we've got the right-wing crazies here right we've got a lot of threats coming on the board we need to drop this wokeness because that's too silly and, and frothy and and be a little bit more serious in terms of defending the west um well probably in geopolitical terms I'm not sure if this is um, also an indicator broadly of, of um, you know, whether world leaders or, or just anybody really in charge of any institution. But um, maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago, Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters, left wing 
um, interesting former Hoffa kind of, you know, uh, institutional guy, um, left, I basically, basically for a, a number of reasons, defected or whatever. A lot of people, um, and no one really, no one really like was suspicious of him. I tend to think too, he's, he's a good man. He's a good labor man. But, um, I, I think he was sort of disgusted by the corruption and by the prioritization of, but by, by just sort of screwing over the members, he had a meeting with Trump and there's a picture of him, uh, that they put on the Teamsters, uh, on the Teamsters, uh, not T- TDU, the sort of left wing who, who supported him, the, the Teamsters for Democratic Union, the sort of left wing insurgent group. Um, but on the official Teamsters, uh, Instagram of doing the, you know, the fucking, the handship of fellowship, the handshake of fellowship thing. And it was like, um, quote was something to the effect of like, we look forward to, um, to, uh, you know, after a meeting with, with former president Donald Trump, uh, we look forward to maintaining, you know, whatever relationship is benefits the teamsters or an ongoing relationship, not look forward, but it's like, we intend to, and it's like, yeah, good. Like, good. He might be president. You better start, you know, start sowing those seeds now. And I did kind of think like, damn, they might know something that we do. I mean, who knows? I still think it's very up in the air. Um, But it it does seem like a very large number of people in the know, either at the top or with some kind of some kind of popular base are like, oh, it's going to happen. We better start working with this administration now. Yeah, we we, we did want to ask you about the vibes. The vibes in uh, in LA or the whole of the US is, you know, are the vibes like f- LA like is LA representative of the United States? <laughs> yeah. yeah, LA is a different country. Um, but I, I have to say, in terms of like you know my family and, and friends and in other areas, they don't talk about it. I think people are kind of at rest now. I think I think a lot of the people who you know, didn't like Trump or maybe even didn't necessarily like Biden, but where I, I called it just shut the fuck up about it votes. Um, you know, they, they, they had other things on their mind, COVID, unemployment, housing, things like that to, to be a part of what I think was largely a liberal hysteria about Trump. Um, they don't seem too engaged. Um, and again, I, I read about this before. I really wish we had a whole bunch of local papers still around so we could actually get a temperature check from places that aren't LA or New York, because I think that's part of the reason we did not, I think it's a large part of the reason we did not see Trump coming is that we don't know what people are upset about and what their political concerns are. And, uh, you know, New York times is a, is a battle of values, not a battle of material interests and like the rest of the world and the rest of the country. I think people are kind of disengaged and I think maybe they take for granted that who knows, who knows? I really don't know. I can it's see so, the Democrats I mean, pulling it out of the fire, but honestly, they did pretty well under Trump. <laughs> like, like yeah. they got a lot of money. They may yeah. not be that invested in fighting him either, um, or they may also just be delusional, like they were with Hillary, and they're like, "There's no way he's gonna win." I could see them making the same mistake twice, but again, I can't really yeah. give an effective. Or, or he'll be barred tech, from running. Yeah, yeah. Like bo- I don't banking, think I could banking give, on lawfare. Yeah. I don't think I could give a, a temperature check for for a, a, any major part of the country that is 
you know, a, a high, a high voting rate. I also think vo- voting is going to go down a lot in general. I think people basically assume that Trump was an, a lot of people at least basically assume that Trump was an anomaly and that, you know, there's no such thing as a, as a one-term president. And it is, is, I think it's only happened before when it was a one-term president that then he skipped and, and got a, a second term after uh, an interim president, shall we say? It is very uncommon, but I don't know. It could happen. I, I'm having. I'm having. It's hard to pick up on the vibes in this country. Well, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I, one of the things I, I find interesting, I guess, and in kind of trying to round this out to reflect also because we've been talking about the kind of 2010s and it's something that George, Phil, and I have debated um, at quite some length, both on the podcast and off, about kind of whether the populist moment is over, right? Or whether kind of the technocratic elite has has um, had undergone a restoration or kind of got the mm. reins back. And I'm kind of ambivalent on the question. I don't think it's so straightforward. But, you know, I think the idea that, for example, in the, that this U.S. election would see a lot fewer people voting, right, mm. would, would s- say to me that the kind of, to a certain extent, the populist moment, the kind of, you know, ballot box insurrectionary anti-establishment moment mm-hmm. has kind of passed. If Trump is able to, for example, win the election, but without a big turnout, with with kind of just just kind of defaulting in just because no one really cares about Biden, and then Trump mm-hmm. has his hardcore supporters who will go to the polls, and then he kind of wins that way, that seems to me kind of a the sort of kind of damp squib event, which is very, seems very kind of, I don't want to say depoliticized, but kind of doesn't have that anti-establishment energy that Trump 2016 did, for example, um, or for yeah. or for that matter, any other kind of, of the big populist breakthroughs that you've had over the, over the past 10 years. I like to keep track of his rallies, to be honest. I, I, I don't know how, it, again, it did, you're right. It does not have the same energy as he did, uh, you know, when he was running the, like, it was just like, it was it was wild. It was it was a circus, um, and I'm not sure how many diehard. You know, maybe they've moved on to something because you know, right? Populist populism dries up as well. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how dedicated his followers are to him. I do think that there's a big drop off on people feeling the urgency to vote for Biden to vote for Democrats. I I'm. I say, I say you go either way. I got, I, I got, I got no prediction. Probably, it's also right? early. Like it's, we, we just had Iowa and stuff. It's yeah. It's well, going to be mean, a fun gonna, ride either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're, we're not even allowed to just do an episode on the U S election. It just unfortunately dominates everything. So there'll, there'll be plenty of this, but we're, we'll try to be um, disciplined here on BungaCast and not doing too much, um, you know, we don't need to bring the circus indoors. We don't need to have yeah, the circus yeah. in here. We can we can go peek in. You know what's going on <laughs> in the circus every once in a while as we get to November, but but not too often because that would be really perverted. So the anyway, granular um, is also round- doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't it doesn't tell you anything. You try you try and look at like one tiny piece of evidence. It doesn't. You get no information from that. Everything is also very selectively reported. Stuff is. I mean, the, I remember from the Bernie campaigns, like uh, uh, huge rallies were just blacked out in the media. 
like massive stuff didn't get coverage. You, uh, it's it's impossible to tell how they don't get. I, I agree. Don't get stuck on the granular stuff because it won't tell you anything, and you'll just go insane and start putting yarn on cork. That's board. that's why vibes is important. Vibes it's, so important. it's a summary of all these of all these things, all these yeah. kind of granular things you can't see. What's the general yeah, vibe? Yeah. Yeah, so we're synthesizing see, vibes for you here people yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway um we're gonna we're gonna finish this off here thanks for being with us thanks for being a patron of bunga cast um we'll be back with much more obviously 2024 big year of elections we're gonna use that as an opportunity to talk in depth about a whole range of really big countries and some smaller countries too but important ones um and and as a way of trying to understand the collapse of the neoliberal order and what comes next um so thank you for being with us thank you amber and uh listener you probably already have a copy but if you don't why don't you go buy a copy of dirtbag it's already out go get out. one it's an incredibly fun read look and if you're watching on video thank you can you. see a picture of it George is held up um yeah it's a great cover actually it is a great cover i um, love it anyway, yeah. thank you amber <laughs> all right <laughs> thank you so much for having me on yeah, cheers. Um, see you next okay. week, people. Bye-bye. Bye.